Welcome to the When I Grow Up podcast with me, Katie Philo. Each episode, I interview a guest about the many threads that have come together to make their life and career so far. My guest this episode is Amanda Wood. She is extremely passionate and curious about the ways people find meaning in their work and lives. It was this curiosity that led her to found Ways We Work, an interview series that explores what people are putting work into and why. By day, she works in diversity and belonging operations at Shopify, ensuring every employee feels included, valued and heard by guiding and informing Shopify towards designing and building better products and employee experiences. She is also a certified coach, helping people get in touch with what is truly important to them and determining their own definition of success. I first encountered Amanda through her brilliant website, Ways We Work. And as someone who shares very similar interests and curiosity around how people find fulfillment, I messaged her on Instagram to tell her how much I loved reading these interviews. And then I was delighted to discover that she was launching Ways We Work as a podcast. Um, Fast forward a few weeks, she then interviewed me for the podcast. And she is so eloquent in the way she articulates ideas and incredibly introspective in the best way. I inevitably love talking to her about all the things that ruminate in my brain constantly and found her to be such a great thought partner. We talked all about what work means to her and how that has changed over time, how she balances her personal passions and multiple work identities, what she's learned about fulfillment from interviewing people, four ways we work and much more. I hope you enjoy listening and if you do I would so appreciate it if you could rate or review the podcast. It gives it such a welcome boost and also helps other people find it. So thank you for that and here is the episode. Welcome, Amanda, to the When I Grow Up podcast. Wow, thank you so much for having me. I feel really pleased that I've been able to turn the tables as I was a guest on your podcast. And yeah, I was so intrigued by your story, really, that it was only inevitable that I was going to ask you to be a guest on mine as well. So thank you for joining me. To begin, I'm going to put you through the first question that I always ask every guest, which is I want to know all about a younger Amanda. What did she want to be when she grew up? So... There's two things that I can really remember, and they're very different. The first one was I really wanted to be a hairdresser (laughs) for a long time. And the only reason I think that that was a thing was that I think like a lot of young girls, I played with Barbies, um, and I loved cutting their hair and also I would like dye their hair with my nail polish which is so weird (laughs) or maybe everyone did that I don't know I guess I'll find out I definitely didn't Um, do that (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that was like I don't know I just really loved being creative I loved like making different looks and like trying different things so I think like a hairdresser was one of the first things and then Outside of that, and the thing that's probably stuck with me the most was writing. Like I always wanted to be a writer. I loved writing from a really, really young age, actually. I remembered as I was thinking about this podcast, I would write these stories about the pieces of lint in my house, which sounds ridiculous, but I had like such a wild imagination and I would make all these like backstories for like these pieces of lint around my house. And I remember there being this like one story I wrote where one day one of them got like sucked up into the vacuum and all the other ones had to go and like save him. (laughs) So that was like one of the first like things I remember writing. And I wrote like a whole series and then that kind of evolved into a lot of poetry, probably a lot of like really angsty poetry in um, in junior high and high school. And then from there, like, I don't know, I, for as long as I've remembered, I've always kept a journal. Um, 
anything that I've always that I've done, you know, either for work or like side projects has always had some kind of element of writing. So that's kind of my my very long answer. No, it's really interesting. And it's really nice to know that, you know, this idea of being creative and your creativity that you express as a child has clearly manifested itself throughout your journey, which I know we're going to talk about. What what else was influential in shaping your kind of motivation or your or your journey when you were at that age? Because I think when you're just expressing yourself as a child, you're not really ever thinking about how this is going to translate into the actual world or work. And that's the beauty of being a child. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I think as much as I wrote as I was a uh, as a kid, I think it was it's one of those things that I can now like connect the dots looking backwards. When I was younger, I don't think that I did. I think I enjoyed writing, but I really saw it as a hobby. It wasn't in my mind like, oh, I'm going to be a writer when I grow up. Like that was never something that was very clear to me. I and I think what was really influential was actually both of my parents. You know, my mom was a a single mom and she worked like to make enough money. So for me, it wasn't like I didn't have that influence of, you know, doing work because you loved it. It was like you did work cuz you needed to make ends meet and, you know, you needed to like put food on the table. And so like, that was really what I thought like work was and what a career was. And then I had the other side with my dad where he was a mechanic, but he did love it. Like he was so passionate about working with his hands and solving problems. And he always told my my brother and I, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you're doing something you love. So I think from a really young age, I had those kind of two sides of the coin that, you know, work had to be something that sustained you financially and sort of kept you afloat and and kept you secure but also it could be something that fulfilled you in other ways other than money so they were both super influential for sure from an early age and do you remember kind of how you worked your way through the education system like did you feel that you were able to express your creativity and did you ever feel pressure to take a different track maybe one that would earn you more money or greater status or anything like that? It's so interesting. Now, so my partner, actually, he was homeschooled his entire education, which, and he's like, very successful in his career. And it's just amazing to me that that was, you know, even an option that I had no idea. Now seeing that and remembering how much I hated high school, (laughs) like I absolutely hated high school and probably junior high too, to be honest, because I remember just feeling like there was this expectation that you had to be good at everything. You know, you had to be good at math and science and art and history. And now that I'm older, like, it's just so clear that people have, you know, different interests and different skill sets. And to expect that, you know, anyone can be good at all of those subjects is really I don't know. It's it's just so fascinating to me that we sort of expect that of of kids from a super young age and and, you know, maybe maybe we don't. Um, maybe that was like a pressure that I had on myself to like be good at everything and, and get A's and everything. So, yeah, I really didn't enjoy high school. I think I found the things that I loved, which was a lot of the arts, like doing drama and music and fine arts and graphic design. And I, I sort of stuck to those things. But I remember it really did impact me, I think, on a like self-esteem level to not be good at the things like math and science and um, all those things that were sort of expected of you. So um, yeah, I I remember that kind of impacting me. And then uh, university. So I was actually the first 
person in my immediate family to go to post-secondary. Like neither of my parents did. So that was so intimidating because I had no idea even how to go (laughs) through that process, like how to apply and what should I do and how do you pay for it and all those things I really sort of had to figure out along the way. But in contrast to high school, I loved university because you could sort of choose more of the things you were actually passionate and interested in learning about and I remember just sitting in lectures like philosophy and art history and I was like, wow, like this is what I wish I was doing for my whole education, you know, rather than trying to like fit myself into a bunch of boxes that didn't work for me. Yeah, it's like that idea of the hierarchy of subjects, isn't it? That I think like I read this book and they were talking about how the academic system and these subjects are built around a really archaic economy and which value those skills mm. so much more. And it's just kind of stuck. And I was the same. Like, I was absolutely terrible at science and maths and <laughs> felt felt like, you know, the soft they were softer subjects, the creative ones. But in reality, the economy yeah. now really requires people who think that way and have those kind of skills. And, um, yeah, maybe it will kind of change in the future. Maybe it has already changed since we left school and university. But I really understand what you're saying there. And then also, I'm really interested in American universities because in the UK, we we commonly just pick one subject and that's it we're like that's what we've chosen Mm. whereas I think there's a system I guess you went to university in Canada I don't know if it's any different Mm -hmm. but you explore lots of different subjects and you're not really forced to kind of pick yeah so I mean you do have like I went through for a bachelor of fine arts so I did have the courses that you had to take in order to get your degree um so there were definitely the mandatory ones like art history and um you know a bunch of other very specific ones to my degree Uh, But every year we would have more and more electives. So first year was pretty much like you had to take what you were told. And then as you got into second, third and fourth year, you got more and more electives to take. And so um, I really took advantage of that. I did, you know, like sociology classes. I did philosophy, I did history. uh, And I think we did like the history of espionage or something. So I learned about like spies, which was so cool. (laughs) So yeah, I really enjoyed that, that, the fact that you could, really explore different subjects while while you were in university it was great I think that's the kind of purpose of education it should be exploratory like you uh, when Mm -hmm. you're 18 you're so young like how on earth can you decide you know what the course of your life is going to be and you I really am such an advocate for that idea of just trying every different subject and then just working out how each one makes you feel and which ones really pique your interest I wish that we looked at education that way, to be completely honest. I I do feel probably similar to you. It's almost like education is a means to an end, you know, like you're, you're taking all these subjects just so you can get a good job or, you know, fit into a certain box instead of education should really be the time that you get to explore what you're interested in and just be curious and discover new things. So when you were kind of came out the other end of university, do you mm-hmm. remember feeling any kind of pressure about what it was you were going to do next? Like, did you have a clear idea of what you were going to do? I didn't. And I think it's, I was very lucky. I had really been leveraging like social media throughout university. I think naturally I've always had like this desire to share what I'm learning with, with people. And so I used Twitter really heavily. And I think someone that I knew had kind of noticed how I was using social media and the different things I was talking about. And they recommended me for a job at a restaurant group um, in my hometown of Kitchener-Waterloo. And I got that job pretty much right out of university. I graduated and I I had it lined up. And so I was doing social media and web development and sort of like community engagement for this, this chain of restaurants. And so 
very early on, I, I had like something lined up right out of university, which was great in one sense, because I didn't have to worry about it, like I know so many people do. But at the same time, it didn't really, I didn't have time to think about what I really wanted to do. Instead, it was just like, I'm going to take this first thing, because it's a good paying job, and, and I'll kind of go from there. So, but I mean, I'm obviously much happier it turned out that way than the alternative. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a paradox of choice, I think, when you come out of university, because again, you're in this position where you're like, oh, I can do anything. It's great that yours just unfolded quite organically. And you just have to con- have conviction and just make a decision and do it. And and just know that that isn't you for life. You know, I guess you did you know mm-hmm. that when you went into it, you were just open to learning and it wasn't like you were picking a path. Yeah, I, I wish I could say that I was. I probably wasn't that uh, wise at the time. <laughs> but yeah, for me, actually, I remember thinking I was so happy because it was something that was somewhat related to my degree. I, I got a new media degree um, from university. And so I loved, I was super proud, obviously, that I could point to, oh, I'm doing something with my degree. You know, that was really like a badge of honor for me. And it didn't matter how much I enjoyed it, if I liked it, or if I found it interesting. It was like this thing that was related to my degree. So like, I was successful. (laughs) But to be honest, it was a, it was an amazing first job. Like I couldn't have asked for uh, something better. I worked with a great team. And, and that was actually how Ways We Work started was just being in my first job and learning how to manage your time and how to keep learning while you were on the job. And like your career path looks like after you get your first job out of university. You know, I had all these questions that that job really kind of let me explore, which was awesome. Yeah, I love how this is the beginnings of Ways We Work and which really I think is an exercise in feeding your curiosity about <laughs> literally what it says on the tin, which is ways we work, but also just understanding because <laughs> you know, at, like a university in education, you're not really exposed to the intricacies of different office environments, teams, or different industries. And I think that's in my own way why I did so many internships because I, I just couldn't possibly decide without really knowing. And I guess this is how you started exploring. So, can you tell me a bit about? how you actually started Ways We Work. When did the idea come to you and like how did you get the, the idea off the ground? Yeah, a big part of it actually was that as soon as I was in my job, I realized that no part of my education at all prepared me for having a real job. <laughs> and so it's kind of this funny moment of like, oh my God, I spent all these years and all this money and, you know, other than a couple of, of super key skills in terms of like, actually building websites and using social media as a tool for marketing, which obviously I did gain um, partially through my degree. There was nothing around, you know, how to like carry yourself in meetings or um, how to like prioritize your time or manage your time effectively, or, you know, how to break down large projects into like manageable tasks or how to even just work with other people, you know, dealing with different personalities in the workplace. So I had, all these questions that I just didn't really know who to ask. And and I'd spend a lot of time at like networking events and I found it so frustrating because you'd, you'd be talking to people and you'd ask how things were going and they'd always say, Oh, it's amazing. Like things are, are like going great at work. And, and then people just sort of give you like the highlight reel of, of their life. And I really would be at these events and I'm like, yeah, but like, what sucks, you know, or like, what's really hard for you right now? Or um, how do you like manage your time between like work and, and like side projects or your hobbies or, you know, how do you do this thing? And I really just wanted 
the space to ask those questions but like that's so weird to do when you're just out in public <laughs> randomly having to chat with people <laughs> so I I just sort of thought like all right well if I had the chance like what are questions that I would want to ask people and so I wrote those questions down and I think it was like 10 originally and I started sending them to people over email, just mostly people I knew in the, the community at the time. And I was like, I think I'm going to start this blog. Like, I'd love to publish your answers. And I just got them to send like a photo and they just answer the questions over email and then I would publish them. And I really had no idea what I was going to do with it at the time. I just sort of thought like, you know, maybe other people will enjoy reading this. And I sort of hit this I sort of scratched this itch for a lot of people were like, Oh my gosh, like it's so great to like get inside other people's like heads and see how they're thinking about things or, Oh, I struggle with this thing too. And it was really cool to see that like this curiosity I had other people also were really so interested in, in learning more about. And it feels like ways we work has had a huge impact on the course of your career and the way that you think about your own work as well. How could you, I know it's a big story to tell, how can you chart ways you work alongside your own personal story and how it grew and how it's kind of evolved over time and been part of your story? If there was really like, you know, a few main lessons that I got out of that, it was the importance of like consistency. You know, I don't think anything that I was doing with Ways We Work in the beginning was super groundbreaking. You know, it was just a couple sets of questions and, and posting them on a, on a blog. But I did it every single Wednesday at the same time and, and sent out like the newsletter at the exact same time. And I never missed a week, you know, I think for the first two years. And, you know, maybe that was a bit of my OCD in action or, you know, my need to, I need to like have perfection and everything I do. But I think that's a huge part of what made it successful. And something that I learned about myself is like a strength that I have is just consistency and and sticking with things. So that was a, a huge lesson kind of early on. Throughout the course of it, like the site became increasingly popular and, you know, more and more people were reading it. And I started to take it a lot more seriously too, because you know, I was corresponding with people over email, but there was again, like this urge of, I just want to talk to these people. I just want to learn how they think and how they approach different things and like connect on, on a more human level. So I started doing the interviews over Skype and I would record them and then I would transcribe them all into these like long form written interviews on the site, which definitely was worth the amount of time and effort it took because the answers were just so much more in depth and and people opened up so much more than you know when they were just typing their answers out so the site was put on product hunt eventually and and that really like blew up and that was the first time I ever I guess experienced anything going viral and you know going viral to me is still very small in comparison to other things but um yeah it was it really like boosted the site and and we got all these cool opportunities to shadow um design teams at facebook and spotify um and we really grew from just talking to individuals to also looking at um how do teams work together how do people work together yeah it it really reached this point that like thousands of people were reading it every month. I ended up moving and trying to do ways we work full time eventually as well. And that was such an interesting experience just in 
taking this thing that I loved and was so passionate about and then suddenly putting all of this pressure on it to make me money as well. And I think that was the first time I realized how important it is to, I guess, keep a safe distance between those two. You know, I think that you should love your work and you should you should love your job to a certain degree, but really learning the difference between a hobby or a passion project and something that like needs to financially sustain you because yeah I think like I struggled for a year and just long form content online is super hard to figure out how to monetize and I don't know how I thought I'd be able to figure it out when massive news organizations happened (laughs) so um, but I took that on and and that was a like really cool experience and an experiment to at least try I mean through that I also experienced like one of the worst burnouts I've I've ever had which you know I was just in debt and I was super I was really focused on a lot of external validation and and you know trying to get enough numbers on the site so that we could get sponsors so that we could make enough money so that I could sort of prove that like this project had been successful and that you know I was successful and again like using all these measuring sticks that didn't necessarily mean anything to to me personally you were talking about how there's, you know, you were you blur the line between your personal passions and then work. And mm-hmm. there's this feeling that, you know, people always say, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. But I think the reality is it's not always possible to do what you love and earn money. And sometimes then that kind of relationship can turn a bit sour and lose interest or you lose passion for something because you resent it. How has your idea of what work really means to you changed over time? Yeah, and and, and honestly, that's something, uh, one of the biggest lessons I think that did end up coming out of Ways We Work was, you know, once Ways We Work ended and I ended up getting a, a real job, quote unquote, I realized that it really like had a profound kind of impact on me. And I don't think, I think I'm just now starting to realize like what I learned out of that experience. But for me, it was this really big, I guess, almost warning sign that I have, there has to be a separation. And I don't think that I got that right away. I think even over the last couple of years, work has still really been incredibly tied to my identity. Um, And even, even ways we work when it was a a side project, it still was like an extension of my identity. And it was almost like, you know, if, if it failed, then I had failed. And, and I really thought that way about my work as well. And it's only been probably in the last year that I've been able to find that separation where I'm not my work. And, and I think uh, it's really hard to articulate, but it's almost like I still am passionate and excited about the work that I do. And I love like the craft of what I do. And I love figuring out like how to solve problems or, or thinking about how to do something at work or with the podcast. But if something fails, or it doesn't go the way that I expected, it no longer like impacts my self esteem in the way that it used to, if that makes sense. It's kind of like, okay, well, that didn't work out, but that's okay. I can try it again, or I learned something or, um, you know, I'll do it differently next time. Whereas before, if, if anything failed, or if anything didn't go exactly the way that I wanted it to, it would have such a massive impact on 
you know, who I was and, and my self-worth as a person, which, you know, is just honestly an exhausting <laughs> way to live. Um, so uh, being able to create some of that separation has been um, really healthy. But I would actually say that the thing I'm struggling with now is even though having my identity so closely tied to my work wasn't particularly healthy, it was the thing that really drove me and kept me motivated and gave me that like sense of ambition. And now I'm almost like on the opposite end of the spectrum where I'm like, okay, well, if this isn't like a reflection of who I am and isn't tied to my identity, what's my, my purpose for doing it, you know, outside of needing to make money and, (laughs) and do something with my time. And so I'm almost now sitting in, in that space of, okay, what does really keep me going? And, and, you know, what is my purpose and my reason for doing what I do if it's not directly tied to who I am, which is definitely something I'm still working out. (laughs) And when you talk about kind of work to you, what does that currently look like? Because I know you do wear multiple hats and you obviously have ways we work. Um, what, What would you kind of describe it as to someone who knows nothing about you? My day-to-day job, I do diversity and belonging operations at Shopify, which is uh, an e-commerce company in in Canada. And really what me and my team are focused on at Shopify is making sure that everyone in the company feels uh, included, valued, and and heard. And uh, every employee has the opportunity to, you know, have impact and be successful at Shopify. So that's really what I focus my my days on. And then um, the podcast, uh, Ways We Work, is now, uh, yeah, I'm now doing it in podcast form. And so I spend probably a good chunk of time every week figuring out, you know, sourcing people for that, um, figuring out the questions I want to ask them, doing the actual interviews and recording and promoting the podcast, which just saying it now out loud even, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like, like seven different people's <laughs> roles. And then um, outside of that, last year, I got my certification to be a like career and life coach, which uh, was one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. And, and I loved that whole experience. Um, and I'm not actively coaching anyone right now, just because um, I do have a lot on the go. And, and I take that the coaching relationship super seriously. So I know that I don't have the the time I would like to to dedicate to doing that at the moment. So I would say those are really though the three pillars of of my career at the moment and, and how I spend my time. Although they all sound quite different, I think they're all, all quite interrelated and in that they're really just human focused in the sense that I think you are mm-hmm. obviously very motivated by understanding people and what makes them tick and what creates kind of connection and motivation. And I imagine your role at Shopify you know, although it's kind of, it's not ways we work full time, it's still a way of actioning the things that are important to you in a corporate environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And and that was really like how I ended up at, at Shopify was, you know, I, I interviewed the person who eventually was my boss at Shopify oh, for wow. ways we work um, well, yeah, a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was really uh, serendipitous. It was great. But I think that's what they saw as well is, you know, I'm out here trying to understand what makes work meaningful to people and what motivates them. And so really the last two and a half years at Shopify has been just doing that, but even deeper in in a single organization and trying to understand 
you know, what makes people feel engaged and excited and motivated at work and, and what makes them, what creates the environment that allows people to do their best work. And I, I would still say I'm, I'm, I'm learning that and that'll probably never, uh, never stop. <laughs> And going obviously into what must have felt like a relatively new area, even though you obviously did have some of the core skills that you needed, how did you handle any self-doubt or sense of imposter syndrome that you may have experienced that we all experience? Like, did you ha- did you notice it rearing its head and how did you handle it? It's so strange because I actually think probably in the last six months, I almost feel like I've overcome it. <laughs> and, you know, again, I might just be in a in a good phase right now. <laughs> but, um, I do remember when I first started having this feeling of, you know, how can anyone be an expert in this space? And, and what is this space even? Because culture, it's not like um, the role of working in culture was super well defined. And there wasn't a ton of like precedent for how other people did these roles in other organizations. So there wasn't really a lot of other people I could learn from or ask questions to. So it was a lot of just trying stuff and figuring it out. But, you know, of course, working with leadership and insanely intelligent people, you want to be the person in the room to say, uh, you know, we need to do this, or, you know, this is the answer to how to do this thing. And, and I just found it was really hard to uh, especially in the think of space like culture and when you're working with people, it's so rare that there is a single answer, you know, and, but I felt like I needed to have it. And I feel like I needed to be the one who knew what to do. And that's what being an expert meant. And so that was like a very big struggle early on. And then I would say, I probably struggled with that for like the last two years. And it's just been about, trying to learn and, and getting different mentors and, you know, being a little easier on myself and and realizing that, you know, no one really has all the answers and that's not really necessarily the value I bring. And I, I think we talked about this when, when I was interviewing you on the podcast and it's been this realization to me that like my value isn't in having all of the answers to something, but it's more in my ability to to figure it out or to solve the problem or, you know, connect the dots in some way. So I think that's really been how I've overcome, you know, self-doubt and, and imposter syndrome is just realizing that if I don't have the answer to something, I'm sure that I can figure it out. And just having that that confidence and like that trust in myself. Yeah, which is really difficult to have. I think it's like this inner calm and deep trust in yourself, which does not come naturally, especially in stressful environments. And I really took that on board when you said that. And I think it's really important. And it feels to me that, so your, and probably mine slightly as well, like your comfort zone is feeling in control and feeling like you know the answers. And so what would you <laughs> yeah. say is beyond your comfort zone or things that you don't feel that comfortable with, but you know are important to learn to feel comfortable with in order to promote self-growth? I think it's going to sound probably funny, but the thing that pushes me out of my comfort zone the most is sitting down and like having a one-on-one conversation with another person, you know, whether it's an interview or a meeting at work or, you know, going and grabbing coffee with someone. I'm always super conscious of just like how I'm appearing. And and I think probably a lot of people are, but there's always this, you know, am I coming across in the way that I want to, you know, do I seem uh, intelligent? Do I seem interesting? You know, am I meeting any expectations that this person might have had of me when really they probably didn't 
think about you at all. They're probably concerned about how they're appearing. <laughs> so that honestly really pushes me outside of my comfort zone. Every time I sit down to you know record an interview for the podcast, I am I have the most anxiety, and I try and like remind myself that like I've done this a hundred times, and this is what I do every day at work, and it's going to be fine. But you still there's just this little voice in your head that you're like you don't know how it's going to go, you don't know how someone's going to react to you. Like you just ne- you never know what you're walking into when you're going to interact with another human being. And I think, though, that's also what I love so much about it is that's what keeps it so exciting and so interesting is I never know when I'm going to walk away from a conversation kind of learning or uh, like a new perspective that I might have. So uh, it keeps it really interesting, but it also uh, terrifies me. (laughs) It's really interesting. Your fear and excitement comes from just those one-on-one conversations because I think there's then obviously the natural part of sharing those conversations and then so many other people hearing them and then the the fear of well how what do they think of me or how do they think I sound and I think it's really interesting that yeah that you're you're very focused on your your kind of one-on-one connection because I think that's actually really nice. I guess like I do I get caught up in it sometimes But it's also, you know, I'm thinking about how do I appear and how am I coming across, but trying to get past that as well and realize and think about just like what is maybe going on for the other person, which is really what's come through in my coaching is trying to get past like, okay, it's not about you. You're not the center of the universe, you know, Um, how can you kind of like control your own ego and control your own anxiety to show up in a way for, for the other person and think about what might be going on for them? Because I think that's really like where empathy comes from when you can let go of what you're worried about and what you're scared of and kind of open yourself up to what might be going on for the other person. And it's really hard to get in touch with that if you're sitting there, you know, sweating about how you look or how you sound. (laughs) I think it's just like something that more people need to remember in day-to-day environments, whether it's just like hustling and bustling down the street or Mm -hmm. in your office you just have no idea the battles that other people are fighting or the things that are going on. And I try to be so aware of it like you are and just kind of understand that often if someone is angry or if someone is rude, it's coming from a place that's not really anything to do with you. It's everything to do with the other person. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It's so true. And I, if, you know, I try to like tell myself that when I'm in meetings or in a, you know, one-on-ones or whatever it might be that however this person is reacting has so much more with, to do with what's going on with them than it does with me and if it is something to do with me it's kind of their responsibility to tell me you know like there's no way I could sit there and guess about it all day long but if that person never you know gives me that feedback or tells me you know what it is that I'm doing there's nothing I can do so I've kind of just let myself relax into that a little bit and, and thinking about it that way kind of brings me some some yeah because obviously like anxious thoughts can tell you very ridiculous stories about other people's behavior and you can interpret everything they say or everything they do in relation to something about you which is just absolutely ludicrous when you think about it and really egotistical (laughs) but we all do it and yeah I think it's really important to be aware of it um can I tell you a story about the podcast yes I'd love to hear it Okay, so um, I won't say who it was, but uh, there was a guest I was interviewing, and um, I was really nervous because it's someone I I really admire, and uh, I had reached out, and they had said, you know, yes, and and they were interested in doing in doing the podcast, and then they posted on Instagram, uh, I think on their Instagram stories, 
something around, you know, if you're reaching out to someone to do podcasts, um, you should really consider all the ways you can make it as easy as possible for them. And they had listed like all these things that you should do. And immediately I was just like, oh my God, this is about me. <laughs> like, this is about me and they hate me and they hate how I like reached out and this interview is going to be horrible and it's not going to go well because like they've written this whole like Instagram story about me. And luckily I have a, an amazing coach who I see at work and, and I was telling her about this and, you know, she sat there and she was like, what evidence do you have that this, this was about you? <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about how it could possibly, you know, point to me or what proof I had. And eventually at the end of the conversation, there was none, you know, there's no, there's no evidence. There's no way of knowing, you know, this person probably gets reached out all the time to do different podcasts or interviews. And, you know, probably if they weren't happy with how I reached out, they wouldn't have said yes to doing it. You yeah, know, I hope. Um, and, and if they were again, like, kind of their responsibility to to tell me and give me that feedback so I really just had to let that go and, and not, you know again I'm not the center of the universe oh no I would I can definitely imagine I'd have the same reaction I mean it's hard not to correlate those two things but it's um you know when you say it out loud and when you talk to someone about it you do then start realizing actually yeah that I am maybe slightly jumping to conclusions here but when you're sitting alone on your phone yeah. in a room with no one else to bounce this off it can feel like a, a real a very real thing <laughs> So thinking about ways we work, I'm really interested in this idea of how we are fulfilled and how different people get fulfillment in different ways. Have you noticed any themes or patterns that have emerged around what gives people fulfillment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was, I'm totally going to steal it from this person. And I, I probably talk about it every time I talk about ways we work. But it's the greatest summary of, I think, all of the things that I've learned through different interviews and people I've talked to is that people need to have problems that they're actually interested in solving. And then the second piece to that is uh, actually feeling empowered to solve them. So I think people can come in and be super excited about the work and be passionate. And then if for whatever reason, whether it's a bad manager or the environment just isn't set up in the, the best way, you know, there could be any number of factors that impacts um, their ability to actually solve these problems or feel like they can have impact on them. And so those are really the, the two biggest highlights, I think I would say, is just problems they're interested in solving and then feeling like they actually have the ability to solve them. And, and what advice, I, I was like asking this question, like imagine someone's on their way to work right now and they're like, oh God, I'd rather be going anywhere else but into this office or wherever they work. Like, uh, what advice? It's the worst feeling. <laughs> the, the, the Monday morning bed. What, what would you say to someone who kind of has that sense of they still don't really know what it is they're doing or what they want to do? So I think there's a difference between, you know, you're just having a bad day or, you know, maybe you're a little burnt out or you haven't slept in a while. And so the first thing I think is trying to unpack why you're feeling that way. You know, have you just not been eating well? Have you not been sleeping well? Has something, you know, not been going well at work? And and can you sort of, I guess, rule everything else out like any any other uh, factors out of the equation and if you do that and you know you still are finding it's been weeks or it's been months and I mean hopefully maybe don't wait until months but um, and you really are just feeling like something's not right um, 
I mean, the first thing I would say is actually talk to somebody and it doesn't have to be a coach or a therapist or anything like that. Just talk to somebody else at work and um, just have someone that you can kind of bounce ideas and, you know, get someone else's perspective on the situation. And if it does come down to, you know, you're really not feeling fulfilled and there's something about the job or the work that's really getting in the way, the first step is just to acknowledge that because I think that actually scares a lot of people is admitting that like, maybe this isn't for me. That's probably the hardest part. (laughs) And then once you can get past that, it's really just staying open and getting really curious about, okay, well, what am I interested in? And what, if it's not, maybe not interested, but like, what am I curious about? Like, what are some areas or professions or companies that I'm just curious to learn more about? And just following that more often than not will will take you somewhere, you know, and it might not be your your dream job, whatever that means to you uh, right away, but it might be like the first step on the path to what that could be. So I think that's really good advice. And that's the first time that someone's ever said that, actually, that this idea that you could just be having a bad day. It's really good <laughs> yeah. to sometimes we talk about, well, if you hate your job, just quit and then go and find something that you love instead. But mm-hmm. the reality is, you know, mm-hmm. most people really just don't have the means to make snap decisions like that so there are ways to make your current situation better whether it's looking after yourself outside of work more like getting more sleep doing things that you enjoy more speaking to your boss and seeing if you can take on different responsibilities like there are ways to make a situation more appealing and comfortable for you and then like you said start leaning into the things that make you curious because I think you're not going to get the answer in sudden a light bulb moment that tells you, oh, you should be doing this. Because again, no one should be doing anything. I think it's just, you have to learn as you go. So Mm -hmm. I have a quick fire round for you. My first one is, what have you learned about careers? Mm. Oh my gosh. I think that, honestly, that they're just one facet of your life. And this will sound so woo-woo, but I think... I think through coaching and also probably just through my own experience, I've really started to actually see just how short life is, you know, and, and I've realized that there's so much more to life than just what I do for work. It's, there's so many amazing and like fulfilling relationships and hobbies and things I can learn. And I've been trying to keep that in mind in the day to day. And what have you learned about money? Oh, other than I'm <laughs> terrible with it. <laughs> I completely acknowledge that I'm in a super privileged position to be able to even think about doing a job that I love. You know, like I remember going back to my, uh, my mom when I was younger, like that wasn't a a luxury that she had. It was, you know, what was available that was going to pay her what she needed to sort of support herself and her family. And so I think money is obviously something that enables us to even have this conversation about doing something you love. And what have you learned about love? I think the biggest thing I've learned about love is that it's um, an action and not uh, a feeling or a thing. Um, I think that love is what you put into it every every single day and the, and the effort that you're putting in. And it's not, again, like uh, one of the biggest things for me is there's just, there's no end game, you know? It's the little things that you're doing every single day. And what have you learned about friendship? I think just how like fulfilling it is and how satisfying it is to have to have friendships especially as an adult they're just they add so much value to your life like just to have someone who really knows you and cares about you and you can just 
go back and forth with in conversation is so incredibly valuable. And I don't think I really learned that until until I had adult friendships. And what have you learned about yourself so far? You know, I had this great conversation with my coach this afternoon and she reflected something back to me and she's like, it seems like you're letting go of your roles. And I wasn't exactly sure what she meant at first. And she's like, well, you're, you're letting go of, you know, your role of your job title. You're letting go of the role of like being a daughter, being a friend, being, you know, someone who works at company X and you're really starting to see just like who you are, like who is your real self and who are you as a human being. And, you know, it's really profound and I'll probably think about it for a while. Um, but it, that I think has been the biggest realization for me is like, I'm not, I'm not just all the different roles, you know, work is obviously one of those things that I've, I've kind of been able to separate my identity from, but I'm also so much more than any of the other roles that I, that I play in life. So finally, Amanda, yeah. what do you want to be when you grow up? I really want to be someone that people can, that they just know like they can come to for anything, you know, when they want like an opinion on something or they want a perspective or they want like a, just a thought partner on something. I really get a lot of value from people thinking, oh, like I I really need to talk to Amanda about this, or I really, you know, want to talk this out with her or get her perspective. And it's not necessarily that, you know, I'm giving giving advice to people, but it's so rare that people genuinely sit and listen to another human being. And so I think if I could just be that for people, just someone who actually listens to them and reflects back what they're thinking and and helps them, you know, solve their own problem, that to me is probably like the most fulfilling thing I could do. And whatever form that takes and whatever like career that that ends up being would be just super fulfilling that really strikes me that it's kind of like kind of leaning into what your coach said today which is you've relinquished roles and you're just thinking much bigger picture and not really thinking about specifics it's just what you know you enjoy and what you want to be able to give to other people which is a really lovely answer where can people find you online and listen to your podcast you can find me at amanda wood pretty much everywhere. And it's Amanda with an H on the end. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram. I think that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So those, <laughs> that's where you can find me. Uh, and then yeah, ways we work. So the website is wayswework.io. But if you want to listen to the podcast, you can just search um, ways we work on iTunes or Spotify or kind of any anywhere you yeah, listen to podcasts. Yeah, and I'd podcasts. really recommend it, that you go and check it out. I feel like it's a really nice companion podcast to what I'm doing and so many of the themes you explore are just so up my street so I know that people who listen to this will really enjoy listening to yours as well so thank you so much for sharing your story and being so open yeah thank you so much for having me this was a this was so much fun